Hello and welcome to Today in Space, the All Things Space Science Podcast. I'm your host from the East Coast, Alex G. Orfanos. This is episode 310 of the podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, I am someone who went to school for aerospace engineering and works now in metal 3D printing, and I really cut my teeth working as an engineer doing aerospace R&D at a small injection molding shop in Connecticut, and so that's where my background comes from. Uh, We talk about all things space. I love rockets, so we talk about rockets. We talk with people on this podcast uh, with people of science or people of space where they have a business in space, they're inf- they are influenced by space, or there's someone in STEM and they decided to get into the gauntlet of uh, what is a STEM career. And we talk about how they got there and, and their journey to do that and when they knew that they found their passion for something like STEM or working in space because either one of those is really hard. But we hope by sharing their stories, we simplify it for you if you're interested and want to get into the space industry somehow. Even if you don't have a STEM degree, there's so many opportunities out there. And as someone who even had an aerospace degree during the retirement of the space shuttle, where we didn't have all these amazing things like Axiom Space that can take a crew dragon, human-rated spacecraft to bring humans back and forth from the planet. All this progress and opportunity that we have today did not exist not that long ago. And so one of the great gifts that I think I'm able to give back here is to lay down some of that groundwork so that if you're someone that wants to get into the space industry, there's so many different paths to do that. And that's not really something you learn by learning the science behind this. So we are happy to share. And if you're interested in space or you even have the passion to want to get into it and you don't know what you're doing, you found a great place. So make sure to reach out to us, follow us online, Today in Space Pod on Instagram and Twitter, Today in Space on TikTok, and Today in Space Podcast on Facebook. You can check us out all over the internets. You can email us, Today in Space Podcast at gmail.com, and let us know if you have anything that you want us to cover or review, you know, we we the ideas are always flowing here, but we want to know what you want to cover uh, as well, so we can dive deeper into those types of things. So please make sure to do that and follow us, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is, and even YouTube. And we appreciate you joining us. So this week, I have two major updates from the studio here. So we have been developing a Starship rocket pen with our three D printing lab, AG three D. And we're getting very, very close. And so I want to give a review of where we came from the last time. You know, the last time we had an update, I had the Jumbo Falcon 9 pen, which was really just a proof of concept. But it wrote very well, which is very important for a pen. And the Starship pen looked extremely cool. We used resin 3D printing. The quality was unbelievable. But the ink that was the same ink as the Falcon 9 pen wasn't working Uh, as well, and it would lose ink. Uh, Very ironic, given the first Starship test flight, where there wasn't enough thrust, and eventually the orbital test never made its orbit. So we've been diving into how can we manufacture this to be more reliable, but to also bring the wow factor, because 
you know, the one thing that 3D printing isn't is mass production, but the thing that it is great at is custom things, one, you know, one-offs, short batches, really premium stuff. So we actually went and found the smallest uh, nozzle for our filament-based system, and we were able to print something with super high quality, and we've been tuning in the, the material profiles, uh, profiles, and that that's a process that got me started into 3D printing. I was uh, an engineer looking for a job, and, you know, being an aerospace degree, there's a lot of those jobs that you apply to where they're like, well, why are you applying to this? Why aren't you applying to NASA? Why aren't you applying? And there just weren't that many jobs back then. And, you know, I didn't have the opportunities to then build the experience, so I had to do it on my own, and that was finding a 3D printer, bought one online, and started tinkering. And then now today, our 3D printing lab funds this podcast and all the cool things we get to do. So this is this is what we do, tweaking a 3D printer and getting it to work, especially one, you know, that's like under $1,000. Ah, chef's kiss. That is where I succeed. <laughs> so uh, we have been going to town on that design. The Starship design is extremely close to being done. And if you're watching here on YouTube, you'll be able to, to see this. But we'll, we'll put this online on social media too, so you guys can see it. So this is the case for the new Starship pen. Because we got the pen design down, but, you know, how is it going to get delivered? How are we going to make sure that it's not going to get knocked around and you're not going to lose booster engines here, you know, nobody wants to be losing booster engines, especially on Starship. We want all engines to be able to fire. Now, the Starship design really came out great. The ink, so you can hear this, the ink is contained and reusable, and the engine stack at the bottom twists out twist it out 90 degrees and you pull out the cylinder, the ink cartridge comes out and you can put in another one. And so it's really easy. And it's not like you're buying a pen because the other thing we didn't want to do was just make you pay for a pen that then, you know, the first version, the ink wasn't working. So we had to figure that out. We found a really nice uh, ink, cat, ink cartridge. I don't know why that's such a difficult word to say. <laughs> word to say. Uh, but... We found one that we really liked, that wrote well, that was reliable, and then once we got that down with the 0.2 millimeter nozzle, again, that's that's really small. Um, you know, the standard is 0.4 millimeters for the diameter of, you know, most 3D printers, and so 0.2 is, you know, you really have to control your flow and your temperatures to make sure that that filament is flowing really well through that really, really tiny hole. So, but we were able to do it, and we're able to repeatably print something that is uh, similar quality and we're just dialing it in a little bit more the bottom, the engine stack. There needs to be a little bit more work done on like where you will use your thumb and your finger to turn it. That's going to be something that needs to be implemented a little bit better. I think it's got to be a little bit thicker. But yeah, so we're working on that. And the tube itself, we have some really, really cool filament. We have this is like a galactic purple where it's got a bunch of sparkles and on the case itself, 
we have the word starship em- embossed, so it is coming off from the surface. And then we have hexagonal tiles kind of all around the outside of the cylinder, just like you'll see on Starship. Those those heat tiles are the same shape. So a lot of just good space nerdy fun packed into what we're, what is going to be our first of many rocket pens. So the Starship rocket pen will be available at ag3dprinting.etsy.com. That's where we have our Etsy shop. And, you know, we've been going strong there for a while, and this is going to be our first real premium uh, product, although all of our products are high-quality 3D-printed products. This is definitely one of the premium products that we're going to have out there. And this first one is going to be priced to a place where you'll be able to support the podcast, but you're not going to break your bank here. It'll make a great gift for the space nerd in your life or yourself, however <laughs> however you feel, uh, see fit, uh, to deliver this most powerful rocket pen ever 3d printed so <laughs> so i'm looking forward to sharing that with you as we've been filming we've been tweaking we're on revision 10 of the starship pen and we're on revision 5 of the hex holder for the pen the tube so the space tube so uh yeah really really looking forward to this guys check out youtube for the video of us 3d printing we've got a bunch of footage that we've been putting up there of our iterative process and that's it ag3d printing bringing our ideas into reality we can help bring yours into them too so let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor for this week's episode manscaped you can use code word space to get 20 percent off anything in the store at manscaped.com right now we are just deep into using the Beard Hedger Pro. Uh, the Beard Hedger Pro kit has a whole bunch of stuff. Like if you're looking to grow a beard, that's that's the beard journey is what we're on here. So, uh, you know, one blade, 20 different heights, and just one of those plastic clips on the end. So you don't have the whole, you know, you're not looking for the size or like forgetting which one is the right height. Uh, there's a spin dial on the Beard Hedger. And... It is just the right tool for the right job, and that's what Manscaped offers. They they simplify men's grooming, uh, even down to you know the the newspaper that they send you, where you catch all of the hair trimmings, and then you take that and put it into the trash. You don't have to worry about cleaning afterwards, or let's be honest, in many cases, not cleaning. Uh, just make it simpler, and Manscaped's great for that. So twenty percent off code word space at manscaped.com and do right by you. Go word space, 20% off, and free shipping at manscaped.com. Now back to the show. That's it, folks. That's our AG3D printing update. And we'll close this episode by talking about our latest observations with our observation station, the Vespera telescope from the company Veonis out in France. So we've talked about this a few times in the podcast. So we're going to do our review very soon. I have finally used the telescope enough in enough situations that I feel I can provide enough value for a a review. So we'll do that YouTube style. Um, So it's going to be a little bit more put together. If you have any questions about this telescope, please let me know if you've been following us on Instagram or YouTube Shorts or Facebook Reels or uh, TikTok and you've seen our, our astronomy photos. There's 
a lot that we've been able to do from capturing images of the moon, the sun with our solar filter, but also we did, you know, the Messier Marathon where we did as many of the Messier objects that we could find. And then we ended up going to the next step and really just exploring, you know, learning where to look in the sky and what to expect to be able to observe the Singularity app that Vespera has does a really good job of, you know, it helps you take the telescope out, you initialize, it tells you whether there, whether it's too dark or if it's too light, you know, too close to sunset, which has been a problem, uh, or, you know, mid to late spring here where we're about to go into summer and the... It, it you know it doesn't get dark enough until like nine nine fifteen to really start getting some good light. So, and you know I'm still new to this, right? So a lot of what I'm speaking about here is, you know, I was a kid that grew up with the telescope. That you know Celestron, it was something I really liked, but it wasn't easy to use. And then, you know, years go by, and I lost the eyepieces, and you know we took it out for. I think it was a lunar eclipse once with my brother when I first started the podcast, and that was a lot of fun. But then, again, would lose pieces of it, and just just not... I hadn't put all the pieces together, literally and metaphorically yet, for being able to observe on a regular basis. And then we interviewed Veonis' CEO, Cyril Dupuy, and they were talking about their Stalina telescope, which is a little bit more powerful, a little bit more expensive than the Vespera telescope, but I knew that they were working on that. And I I really liked what Cyril and the team over there was doing in this company in France and how optics-driven they were. And, you know, I work in technology. I work in additive manufacturing, but it's technology nonetheless. I've I've worked at Apple repairing iPhones, you know, in the Genius Bar. Uh, the Genius Bar, but I the idea of having a telescope that would allow me to observe and be scalable with my life. Like I could put the telescope out and work on the podcast or hang out with friends while light is gathered into this telescope that's tracking by itself. That is giving me a lot of different ways to view the sky and different objects and plan for how long each observation is going to take. So I can use the time that I have more efficiently instead of never putting it out because there was never enough time. And I think that's something we can relate to in a lot of different things. And and that's where technology can help you in your life is, you know, first identifying the problem of, you know, I want to, in this case, I want to observe the sky on a regular basis, but it's very difficult to get it set up. And then there's, if you really want to have a powerful rig, which there's tons of people online like Bastronomy and Deep Sky Dude that are constantly, uh, showing us what a like a like an amateur rig can do right right out of your backyard and you know this Vespera telescope definitely allows me to post and document on a regular basis without getting in the way like of all the other things that I tinker with right <laughs> the first whole segment of this podcast was about the 3D printing lab we have five FDM printers, five filament printers, and three resin printers, and they all need a little TLC. So that's a lot of things to tinker with on top of the things that I tinker with at work, which are a lot more complex, uh, although not too much more complex. 
and you know it's it has to be scalable with my life and i think even for the busy person even for the person who feels they don't have enough time to get into astronomy or learn all the things this telescope is allowing me to have that on a regular basis granted it's new england so the weather is crap but we've had a good string of clear skies so i've been staying up a little bit later maybe getting a little bit less sleep but i think i'm sleeping better overall so i'll call it a win all right folks we're taking another break to talk about our new sponsor caldera lab you know what we're trying to do here on the podcast is bring sponsors that i think will be helpful and they're things that i've tried right i'm not just going to sell you something we haven't done anything done anything with and caldera lab has been a a real like benefit in my life i think my skin is feeling so much better i'm actually cleaning it uh, on the on a regular basis and you know there's there's three things in the bundle that i have been using that i i have loved so the clean slate is where uh, i use in the shower it's plant-based cleansing uh leaving all skin types exceptionally refreshed then there's the base layer after you're out of the shower it's a nutrient dense fortifying moisturizer that hydrates your skin and absorbs fast not giving you a shiny finish a matte finish so you can start your day confidently and I'll, i will say in, in new england summer starting to heat up here uh i definitely I'm glad that it's a matte finish. Uh, and then there's the good, which is your go-to at night before bed and clinically and a clinically proven multifunctional serum that helps your skin look tighter and smoother, as well as help to reduce visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. Uh, I've had some a few late nights, so I've been using that under my eyelids, uh, and I've seen it benefits. So it's just another tool in your basket for taking care of yourself. Uh, not even so much for, you know, outside validation, but for yourself. That's what I've found from for me. Uh, Caldera Lab's been another tool, just like our other sponsor, Manscaped, um, to be better for myself and my mental health, uh, which is also my physical health here in this case. So uh, code word space, calderalab.com, 20% off uh, their best products. That's code word space, uh, 20% off at calderalab.com. The Clean Slate, Base Layer, and The Good. Some great products out there. And there's other things you can check out. So um, make sure to check them out. Thank you, Caldera Lab, for being one of our new sponsors. And now back to the show. On May 14th, actually the last episode's thumbnail and background shows uh, M101, Messier 101, which is the Pinwheel Galaxy. It's the reason I chose to observe it on that day was because it was high in the sky. It was, I think it was in the southern direction, so where I have my telescope that's kind of north to south is where I have the most room for observations at many different altitudes. So that's something that's been really cool to like learn and really understand how to plan observations throughout the year, right? When, when you have your strip of sky that you're going to observe, you have to, you know, you are at the whim of the universe, uh, of, of us spinning around in the middle of the universe, right? <laughs> so we, you, you're going to have some consistency, but you know you have only some opportunities to really take a good look at those objects. Like the Orion Nebula was one of the ones that we really spent a lot of time observing uh, earlier in the year because that's exactly where it was uh, in that area where we could observe. So M101. 
the pinwheel galaxy, we observed on the 14th. The thing that's great about it is that it's perpendicular to us and our viewing, which means we get to see top down. We get to see the whole spiral arm, and it, it's it's the right size and right distance, 21 million light years away. So it's it's something that my telescope could pick up really well without any type of filters, and with enough exposure time, we got a really nice image. Now, post-processing astrophotos or uh, astronomy photos, I I still don't even know what to call them, but I'm still learning here, (laughs) clearly. Uh, I've been learning about post-processing and taking a TIFF file, T-I-F-F, and manipulating the pixels so that you get a better contrast between the void of space and the stars, but also for things like nebulas and clusters and everything else that we're looking at, there's a color balance and and different things, especially something like uh, a galaxy, where you can really pull out the beauty of it. Now, the great thing with the Vespera telescope is that all the things that you document and take pictures of are available in the app at all times. So it also gives you metadata on the position, the timing, all that types of stuff. But even just the images, you know, it's built for the digital side of things. So, and it integrates so well between, you know, for me, I'm using the Apple infrastructure. So I've got it on my iPhone. I've got it on my iPad. And it's even just the PNGs that you can get out of it are really, really good and easily manipulatable enough to put out a picture that invokes some kind of awe, right? And that's really what we're looking for. So the ability to move quickly, but observe quickly. And that's what this M101 supernova opportunity let us do. And this is something that really came to our attention when we spoke to Avi Loeb, uh, who is an astrophysicist from Harvard, and he has been really big in one of the last events in our solar system, a first, which was Oumuamua, which came through the solar system and orbited around the sun and left and there were a lot of very interesting characteristics of Oumuamua uh, that, if they had been observed, could have led to some really interesting data about one of you know, something for, that didn't come from our solar system that just came in, a nice visitor flyby, right? It did things that doesn't really isn't fully explained by the traditional understanding of, say, asteroid or comet, and you know, we were kind of left with very basic, I don't want to say explanations, but I, I think we didn't give it a full shot. And as we've learned in the in the recent years, you know, our best estimate of what is going to happen, our theoretical, has oftentimes been proven to be very under uh, underestimating what is actually the case. Like the DART mission, right, that impacted... Um, that asteroid to show us how the debris from that impact would happen. You saw the animations of what they thought it would do. And you saw the real life images of the satellite that was following just behind to capture that it looks it, the, the debris field was so much more than we thought. And it was such a beautiful thing. We've got curiosity and perseverance that are taking images and the ingenuity helicopter uh, on Mars. We've got, so many things, James Webb Space Telescope is helping us rewrite the books 
on galaxy formations and the beginning after the Big Bang, bang the, the formation of, of all of reality as we know it, right? Seeing and gathering data is one of the more important things. And so on the 14th, we took uh, the 14th of May, we took a picture of the Pinwheel Galaxy, and then we found out a few days later that someone had discovered that there was a supernova that was occurring. So a dying star uh, was happening in M101, and it was still viewable. I mean, this is exactly why we got the telescope. So, you know, it's, it's they say it's a once-in-a-decade supernova, and let's see here. So May 19th, so just five days after, um, seasoned, this is in Scientific American, this was written by uh, Megan Bartles on May 24th, and so the May 19th season, supernova discoverer Koichi Itagaki spotted something strange in a spiral galaxy called M101, a bright new pinprick of light. At about 21 million light years away from Earth, the new supernova, which is formally dubbed SN2023IXF, is the closest such explosion of the past five years and the second closest in the past 10 years, according to NASA. And... Here, Koichi says, it took me about five minutes to confirm that it was a supernova uh, who claimed who has claimed 172 supernova discoveries since he picked up the hobby in 2000. That's incredible. And discovery was made in bad weather with lots of clouds. We were lucky. And isn't that the truth? Stargazing really does need a lot of luck, and things need to line up literally and metaphorically uh, and emotionally. <laughs> Although I will say... The, the amazing thing about stargazing is that it it offers such great like mental health balance of like you know I go back to like the Stoics of of the old kind of Greek mentality of of zooming out and seeing from above uh, even if theoretically to understand your place and how important the things that you're worried about really are right and of course space is the ultimate version of that and stargazing to be able to see a supernova, a dying star in a galaxy 21 million light years away that happened 21 million years ago is wild. And and then not only just the serendipity of having watched it before to be able to watch it, and we're continuing to watch it on every good night that happens, so we'll have a progression of this supernova as it is in its dying days and to be able to capture it and show it with you guys this is what the Vespera telescope was meant for us to do. And in under a year, uh, mere months that we've had this, we haven't even had this six months yet. And we're already already able to put eyes in the sky. A uh, very small eye, but a very efficient eye on the sky for these types of events. And, you know, we're going to continue cataloging as much as we can in our little open strip in the Massachusetts sky and one day we'll get some more filters. We'll be able to get even more out of every pixel on our telescope. So um, it was a lot of fun. Obviously, we'll have the, the animation of the supernova here. But the last thought is really, you know, going from the first image on the 14th to our next image, it really is wild to see as you're gathering light, right, as you're getting exposure in our case, taking 10-second exposures and stacking them up, which 
the app does by itself. The and it tosses ones like, uh, it, for instance, the other day I think I had a streak, probably a Starlink satellite, uh, and it tossed that stack out uh, and ended up filling it in with others after it. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of smart tech in here, and they're doing a lot of stuff with the same hardware, implementing software to make that change, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. And you know, we're we're gonna continue checking out the skies, and we want you to come with us. So let us know if there's anything that you want us to observe. Uh, there was a comet, which basically was us going on on our own manual to try and uh, find the coordinates to observe at the right time. Uh, things I'm still learning. There's so much to learn here. But this M1 supernova, my last thought, because I got derailed there, as we're gathering a light through... <laughs> Folks, this happens a lot. If you're new to this podcast, I, I apologize. But I try and make it fast. I, I try and make it funny. So the light that's being gathered over time as you build those stack of images, the thing that blew me away, the first image, you really have to wait for those spiral arms. You've got the center, you know, the light probably coming from the black hole at the center of everything that it's, you know, taking in and everything that's orbiting super, super close to it. You then see the arms and it takes a while but this image with the supernova even still the supernova is brighter than the center of that galaxy and you see that supernova uh, almost immediately and it gets very very bright over time and even though it's only a few pixels it it it's an opportunity to contemplate the scale of the universe and to think how that is one of the most violent things that we know of uh, as 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 a an expulsion of energy in the universe that uh, is both destruction and creation at the same time. The other stars and globular clusters and clouds and things that are going to be created from that dying star as it, its matter rearranges and other things. I mean that's that's the beauty of astronomy, and we're really happy to not only have a podcast on a weekly basis, post online, so that we truly are today in space, we're also showing the skies and, and taking a look at everything that's out there, including this supernova. So we were uh, really happy to hear that it uh, people really liked it, and also that some people thought that, uh, that we had actually discovered the supernova, and we appreciate that. <laughs> Although this is not true. This is not true. Uh, it was Koichi Itagaki, uh, who's clearly uh, very, uh, very skilled at this type of thing after 23 years of the hobby. And we're looking forward to seeing how far we can push that with Vespera. So that's it, folks. That is the end of this episode. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a good week. Spread love and spread science. And we'll talk to you next time.